two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader, includes but is not led to who talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the jump that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. Crystal Fox reports they are divided. For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired. And their time is up, so here's the Knights of Vader. Most impressive. A big thank you to Anne Spiriority Complex providing our theme song. It is March 5th, 2019. My name is Zach Weber. Tonight, we are having a book review. I know, right? Everybody's favorite episodes of Knights of Vader are the book review episodes, and the downloads definitely reflect that. As you already know, by looking at the title of this episode, we'll be talking about Splinter of the Mind's Eye. This was a listener request from Jerry in our Facebook group, or at least I hope it was Jerry. Uh, Whoever asked for this, I hope you're happy. Jerry, whether you asked for it or not, I hope you like this episode. You know what? After I lectured you all about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and how bad it was, Disney actually put out a rebuttal against me. I know it was, in fact, just for me because I'm that narcissistic. And it goes to show the power Knights of Vader has, especially the solo episodes. All joking aside, with Knights of Vader, any topic that's book-related, it's easier to do a one-on-one review as opposed to try to get all of us. Because We still haven't figured out how we can do book review episodes unless we make it into like a book club thing. And then it's like, well, uh, it, it's just weird. So unfortunately, you're just stuck with me this time. But I just finished the book today. I'd never read it before. So you're going to get some of my fresh thoughts. As always, with any Zach's exclusive episode, you're going to get a lot of stream of consciousness. At this point, you should be used to it. And basically, here we go. For those of you who don't know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was technically the very first Star Wars EU book. It was published in February of 1978. It was written by famed sci-fi author Alan Dean Foster. Rather short book, around 200 pages long. It takes place, obviously, after A New Hope at this point in time in, in Star Wars history. Uh, this is before the holiday special, before Empire. We Really, if you were a Star Wars fan at this time, you really didn't know what Star Wars looked like. I don't even think the toys were even... I think the toys were just getting shipped out at this point. Um, so really, if you were a Star Wars fan, this was kind of your really first taste of the Star Wars merchandise and, oh lord, ancillary product that was about to be dumped on you for the next 40 plus years. And uh, I guess it goes without saying that, spoiler alert, for a 41-year-old book, uh, just in case anyone gets upset over that, I'm going to basically give you a synopsis of what happens in the book. Basically, it is solely about – Are the only characters that you'd recognize really are Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, C-3PO, and R2-D2. There's some Darth Vader in there, but we'll get more into him later on. But it starts off with Luke and Princess Leia traveling to – Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce this right. And considering that's a Star Wars where I'm probably going to say it wrong without hearing it pronounced. Circapus 4? For a, a meeting with this planet's uh, rebels. trying to, Leia's trying to recruit them into the rebellion. Um, while they're trying to fly there, something happens to Princess Leia's ship. Which is, I guess I should point out that Luke is flying his X-Wing and Leia is in a Y-Wing. 
and something happens where Leia's ship starts going down, and they more or less crash on Mimbon. Mimbon being the planet that we actually see in Solo Star Wars story, where Han Solo is fighting. Uh, well, we see him fighting with the Imperials before he uh, becomes a turncoat. But not much in common, actually, with the book version of Mimbon and the movie version. Uh, there's a little bit there. Like the one thing they really make a big point that Mimbon's a very like uh, foggy world. And there's a, obviously there's a little bit of that in Solo with with the brief amount of, I, I guess a little bit. I don't know. Like when when John Kasdan was was writing this, I'm guessing that that's what he was going for. Was trying because apparently John Kasdan's a huge EU fan, so I'm guessing he was trying to pull it from there. But really, the only sort of things that that we get any feel from in Bond are it's it's foggy and it's rainy. I don't even think you really pull that much rainy from the Solo scenes, but whatever. They crash land while Leia and Luke are kind of traversing the Mimbanian terrain. They come across an unofficial, unsanctioned Imperial mining operation. While they're there, they go to like a local tavern to get some food. They encounter this woman named Hala, who shows Luke a, a small sliver of the Kyber crystal. There's two R's in that. Kyber. Not Kyber. Kyber. And she tells them, like, oh, Luke, you're force sensitive. You need to help me get this crystal. It's good. We, we need it for insert reasons here. Essentially, the Kyber crystal is the MacGuffin of this entire story. It basically puts the events of the story into motion. So Luke agrees to help this woman, Hala, along with Princess Leia, to get the Kyber crystal in exchange for passage off Mimban. Because apparently the only way to get off of it is through some sort of imperial transport. There's no other way in and out of the planet because it's more or less an uninhabited world. Right after they walk out of this bar, tavern, what do you want to call it, uh, Princess Leia and Luke get into this like playful fight outside that's infused with sexual tension. I guess it's worth pointing out that because this is a book that was written pre uh, Return of the Jedi in obviously pre Empire. Um, there is a lot of sexual tension between Luke and Leia in this, like almost like an embarrassing amount of sexual tension. And while they're outside, like kind of like I don't want to say fooling around with each other, but they're kind of just messing around. Like they get into a fight with some like uh, miners who are like it's our like, like very I don't want to say deliverance esque, but like it's our job to to do the law around here. But they're not imperial, so I don't know why they're picking a fight with Princess Leia and Luke. A uh, long story short, they get into a fight. And, uh, Luke like Luke is, has his lightsaber and he has no qualms about using it. And apparently nobody's surprised that Luke has a lightsaber. Apparently that's not a weird thing at this point in Star Wars that a character has a lightsaber because like he uses it to like cut people's hands off, he cuts legs off. Everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Happens every day around here. So they get um, arrested. They're put in an imperial prison that's made up of the former ruins of a Mimbanian structure. It's here that they are questioned by Captain Super Supervisor Grommel, who finds that Luke has a piece of this Kyber crystal. And he basically locks them up. Luke and Leia have some story that they're obviously not part of the rebellion. They're 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 uh, felons or criminals trying to escape the the earlier planet Sycharis Four or whatever it's called. And after they leave, they get put like in, in a holding cell. And Captain Supervisor Gremmel calls up his superior, Governor Asada. Which oddly enough, if you have the Solo a Star Wars Story Visual Dictionary, is listed as the governor of Mibbon. So again, another tie-in uh, or carryover from the EU. And while 
uh, Grommel is talking to his boss, Governor Asada. He says something like, oh, we, we need to find out what this, this thing is. It might be on the planet, whatever. But then we go back to Luke and Leia in the holding cell. It's there that they encounter two Yuzam. Think of a more Kashyyyk, Wookiee-esque species, kind of big hairy creatures. It's here where Luke befriends Hin and Key, who are both Yuzam, and they kind of plan an escape from the prison. With the hell, like we see a scene with like Luke using the force, where he has to like lift up like a, a dinner tray to like do something with like, a security panel. And we have a scene where they kind of break out of prison and they cause all these sort of explosions and stuff. Basically the kind of the same Star Wars stuff that you come to expect. Um they escape from the prison. Once they get out, Hala is there with C3PO and R2D2. They steal some sort of Transport and they go into the jungle looking for the, the 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 temple where the kyber crystal is supposed to be held. The the the, the name of the temple is Temple of Pomojima. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And if you do some more research, apparently, or in my research for this, apparently, Temple of Pomojima was the original title they were going to give the the temple on Jeddah, which was the like, however they eventually called that the Guardians of the Wills Temple. But yeah, apparently they were going to call that until later on that it was a kind of dismissed from there. And if you look at some of the the artwork that was done for the comic adaptation of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, it bears an uncanny resemblance to what they did use for that Guardians of the Will Temple on Jeddah and Rogue One. They go traversing into the the jungle of of Mimban looking for this. We really don't know how much time elapses here because like we'll see things like, oh, we've been out here for days. There's a lot of that you start to look like, oh, it's been several days since we've seen this or this or that. And it's like, okay, whatever. So it's hard to get a grasp on how long like this this adventure is supposed to be taking place. Again, very Empire Strikes Back esque where it's like, oh, it's not like a couple of days. It's like it could be any amount of time, depending on what your definition of several is. So at one point they get while they're traveling to this temple, which I don't know how they know where it is, but somehow they know where it is because Luke has the force and can somehow isolate it. So they encounter this giant beast that makes them separate. Luke and Leia have to like go down the mine shaft to escape this giant creature. And they have to like travel underneath ground to reunite with Hala, the Uzem creatures in R2 and 3PO. And as they're there, there's again, even more sexual tension between Luke and Leia about them just kind of spending like a lot of intimate time with each other. At one point, Luke and Leia are kind of like, uh, cozying up to each other to keep like to stay warm. And it's like, it looks like I have to look into her eyes. And even for a fleeting glimpse of this, I'm like, I get it at the time that they weren't brother and sister, but this is still kind of weird. In retrospect, it's really weird. So as they're doing that, they encounter a species underground a tribe of creatures called the Koei. While they're down there, Luke and Leia come across the fact that the Koei have captured Hala, the Yuzem, R2, 3PO, and Luke has to have like a one-on-one fight with the Koei's like strongest warrior. We have kind of like like a weird sort of like think. Okay, oh again, it's, it's a tribal ritual though, but it's it's very like I guess the most modern incarnation of this, or the most accessible for people. Like what happened in Black Panther between uh, T'Challa and uh, Eric Killmonger. It's very similar to that, where like fighting in like in like in a very uh, Lord uh, like not stripped down, but like in very ceremonial esque. And while this is happening, uh, Luke is losing the fight, and something happens that's kind of not explained. That like Luke just kind of like blacks out, and he wins by defeating the the Koei warrior. And next thing we know, they're having like a ceremony celebrating the fact that Luke is this like now they're not their god. 
but he's basically been chosen by their god to lead their people. And while they're there and like they're all like enjoying like the meal, Luke kind of has like I don't want to say like he has like a fit where he senses Darth Vader is on the planet, and they basically like oh oh we we have to stop what we're doing. You have to like plan this like this subterranean attack as the stormtroopers are coming down and they're led by Darth Vader and and Grommel. And as they're doing this, the Kowai basically just like completely annihilate the stormtroopers. Like it's uncharacteristically violent for Star Wars. It's it's much more in line with kind of what happens to Panda Baba in the cantina of like the bloody stump of an arm where you have like you hear things about like the co-wear like ripping the stormtroopers from limb to limb and they use them or like snapping necks and like bending the stormtroopers like backwards and breaking their backs like it's gruesome for star wars like this also kind of ties in the same philosophy that like what jorge lucas was like thinking this at this time because again this is all within the same time period as the holiday special so you definitely get a feel that like Lucas, Lucas was kind of caught off guard by Star Wars, but we'll get into that later on. And so they, they repel the Imperial attack, and because what not even they repel it, like Vader orders a retreat, which again, as we know, is very uncharacteristically like Vader. And at one point, Leia like almost like sh- like sh- kills Darth Vader. She has like a, a rifle, and she like shoots him like in the side. Yeah, he's fine, and then. At this point, they're like, oh, we like Hala, our main character, saying, like, we have to get to the temple before Vader does. Because apparently Vader went down there just to then eventually end up at the temple. So they race to the temple, they get there, and they they very easily find the the Kyber crystal. And while they're trying to get it, they send that they need like help like doing something. So Luke asked the the Yuzen to go do this. And when they're they're like gone, they're not they haven't come back in a while. And next thing they know, Darth Vader is there. Oh, oh, I forgot the best part of the entire story. Hold on a second. Okay, we got to rewind a little bit. The best part of the entire story is that after Vader orders the retreat, they're, they're talking. Grommel and Vader is on a transport heading to the temple where the Kyber crystal is. Even though, again, I don't know how Vader knows it's there, but I guess he can sense it, whatever. Star Wars gobbledygook. And Grommel is like, it's not my fault, Lord Vader, that the stormtroopers failed. The the indigenous population, one of those, it's not my fault. And Vader, Vader like takes his lightsaber out and like literally cuts him in half. And I'm not talking about like Darth like Darth Maul cutting him in half. I mean like from like head to groin slices him in half. And it's like, oh my god, this is so violent. Like it's so weird. Um, yeah, that's the best part of the entire book. It's like, oh my god, because like I'm reading it and it's like they don't say what it is. Like Vader like literally cuts him like lengthwise and like kicks his like body out of the transport as it's moving. And the driver's like does like one of those ooh as he like as he pulls his collar. But anyway, though, going back to where we are in the temple, um Vader shows up, he's killed the two, Yuzan. He with the force, he like kind of traps Luke under some rubble. Leia takes Luke's lightsaber and starts fighting Vader, even though it's made abundantly clear that Leia doesn't have any force powers. Um, she does a pretty good job holding Vader off for the most part. It's it's kind of it's kind of obvious that he's toying with her, but it seems like she is able to kind of because a couple times they mentioned like she gets like a good like she like nicks him in the shoulder once or does something to kind of push him back or repel him. And, but eventually he kind of just like slowly like takes like like shots at her like he like he nicks her in the cheek he nicks her like on the knee the back of the leg to the point where she's more or less incapacitated again think of attack of the clones obi-wan where like dooku like gets him like in the shin in the shoulder 
places like that. And eventually, one of the Yuzan, the Yuzan, or whatever their names are, I, I guess I shouldn't say Yuzan because that's the Yuzan Vong. It's it's definitely not them. It's the Yuzan. And helps Luke like like his dying breath is like taking like the stone off of Luke so he can fight Darth Vader, and we have like a really kind of brief minor duel between Vader and Luke. Luke kind of has a moment where it's not really explained though, but like he kind of gets like infused with the Force or like the book. Okay, maybe this is the interpretation I'm getting from it or from what I've read. It seems like Obi Wan inhabits. Or kind of like possesses Luke's body and helps repel Vader off. And then basically, this is another probably the weirdest part in the book, the second weirdest part, is that Luke cuts off Vader's right arm. Like legit just cuts it clean off. And they make a point of saying that like, oh, when this happens, Vader is completely unfazed by it. And goes over, like picks up his stump of an arm, yanks the lightsaber out of it and starts to fight Luke. Until eventually like a crater opens up in the ground and Vader falls through it. And they make a very big point that, oh, Vader's not dead. He's just like, you know what? He's been kind of taken off the board for the time being. And Hala finds the Tiber crystal and somehow is able to like bring Luke like back to life, even though Luke isn't really mortally injured. Something apparently happens where Luke Luke is kind of incapacitated in this battle too, but not in, like I don't know. Whoever is the Kyber Crystal brings him back to life. And then he like brings it over to Leia and it brings Leia back to life. Even though they make a point of saying that her her injuries weren't like in life threatening, but whatever. And the book kind of just ends right there. They're like, oh, because I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay, we're getting to like the last like five pages, and, and the Darth Vader fight is still going on. And I'm like, what? Like, how are they getting off the planet? And it's kind of not resolved that way. Like they get the Kyber Crystal, and they're like, well, time to get off the planet. End the book. So that's pretty much Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the most abridged version I can give of it. Um, if you want more detail on it, there is a the Wikipedia entry on this is rather detailed. I know most of the book entries on Wikipedia are just like the, the publisher summary, which is like three paragraphs if you're lucky. They have a really good synopsis there if you're so inclined to learn more about this. My thoughts on the book are beyond just that synopsis, is that when I first started reading this, I was kind of doing it as like a chore. Because Jerry asked for it and that Zenger and I couldn't record last week because uh, he had a cold. So I'm like, okay, I need something. I just can't complain about Galaxy's Edge again. So I'm like, okay, let me read this. It's only about 200 pages. I figure I can basically bang it out in a weekend. I was reading it. I'm like, okay, kind of one of the reasons, only reasons why I read Star Wars books now is like I want to learn something about the universe, especially now that everything is canon, everything's tied to the continuity. There might be something in there that you learn. And so it's kind of like, do I really want to read this? There's nothing to be gained from it. But I kind of went, as I got further and further into it, I was like, okay, I'm looking, I'm reading this book more as an academic exercise, as a snapshot in time of what Star Wars was, especially in, in 1978, because we really don't have much. Again, obviously, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have any, like, fan fan sites or any sort of, like, fan publications that would really give us, like, a snapshot in time. I think I've mentioned on here, like something like the people versus George Lucas, the documentary is a great snapshot in time of what the star Wars fan base was like right before the Disney sale. And this is kind of like the equivalent of that. Not in the, we hate star Wars. George Lucas is Satan angle, but more just getting that feel of like, what were, what was the mood like for star Wars right as it came out of the gate. In that sense, I think it is definitely worth picking up and reading because you don't get that from other things. So much of the other EU is just like, 
it's the blender of just shoveling trash. And it's like, oh, let's take all these horrible elements of sci-fi and just slap Star Wars on it and, and, and hope it sells. And this definitely isn't that. For those of you who don't know, I think a lot of people do, so I'll, I'll be rather brief with this. Was that Splinter of the Mind's Eye was basically Lucas's contingency plan if Star Wars was a bomb. And he basically it was designed that when Alan Dean Foster was writing this, it would require it would be a much smaller budget than what Star Wars was. There's practically no space shots in this, except for the very beginning when Leia and Luke crash onto Mimbine. They make a very big point of saying that, like, oh, like it takes place in foggy corridors because that'd be cheap. And based on what I was reading, again, I know they did do a comic on this that definitely kind of just um opened up the walls of the world of of the book. I don't see how this would be that much cheaper than Star Wars. Again, yes, there's no space stuff. There's nothing like that. But I would still say this would be a pretty some pretty expensive movie to make, especially by like like late seventies uh, dollar amounts or where technology had advanced up into there. And uh, yeah, so there's certain things like there's no Han Solo and Chewbacca. They're they're mentioned very briefly at the end. And part of that, and I think this is this is erroneous information because I think Alan Dean Foster said like, oh, Lucas told me not to use them because Harrison Ford hadn't signed on for a second or third picture yet, which directly conflicts with what is said in the Empire Dreams Ken Burns documentary, where they say that Harrison Ford was signed on for two films right out of the gate, and obviously the big one was being Return of the Jedi, where he didn't want – because he, at this point he was famous for Hans – for Indiana Jones, I mean – and he wasn't sure if he wanted to come back. Like I said earlier, there's some weird continuity stuff here that's kind of just not bizarre, but it's 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 bizarre in retrospect. Like Luke at numerous times has to charge his lightsaber. He'll like make I know at least twice in the book it's explicitly said that like he'll plug the lightsaber into the blaster to to or an imperial blaster to drain it of its energy to help fuel his lightsaber. I think that's really neat, like in a weird, goofy sort of way. And and oddly enough, they never use that again in Star Wars. I think only in like some of the old Republic comic books and stuff that Star Wars lightsabers needed to have like a, a charging station. They weren't like perpetually or have perpetual energy. What else is there really to talk about with this 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 weird book? Yeah, there's really not a lot to say about this. Like it's it's more just you have to do it your read it yourself. Oh, well, one thing I think I, that is interesting is that they definitely are are painting Luke to be more of a pacifist in this. Like at numerous times, he doesn't want to fight with people. He 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 feels bad for the stormtroopers and how they're kind of being like uh, decapitated and 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 torn apart by all the creatures of Mimbine, and he doesn't like that. That's one thing that's interesting, considering that obviously we all know where that went with The Last Jedi and Luke Skywalker. Interesting enough that there is that through line between Splinter of the Mind's Eye and The Last Jedi, who I never would have thought that starting this book. Other than that, there's there's really there's not much to say about this. Like there is a couple of things like R2D2, they refer to them as robots. Don't know why, because a couple other points too, they call them droids. I don't know why robot just wasn't crossed out and they wrote droid over it that one time. Basically things like that where you could tell very obviously that the world wasn't cemented yet in, in what Lucas wanted. And I guess the big thing, again, the romance or the the, the, the sexual – I guess sexual tension isn't the right word. The romantic tension between Leia and Luke is 
like I know, like obviously the big story is that Lucas had all these things planned out years in advance. And I know I've talked about it before, like, oh, Lucas has claimed he's had anywhere from six films to 12 films in mind. And I, I, I think this is the clearest evidence we have that Lucas didn't really know what he had in mind. Because people also forget, too, that like if you go back and look at some of the Return of the Jedi deleted scenes, especially when after they've escaped Jabba's Palace and they're going to back to the Millennium Falcon – that during the sandstorm, Luke and Leia kiss, like before she gets on the ramp of the Millennium Falcon. It's like, and that happens at the beginning of Jedi. And even though, yes, that that was a deleted scene, it's like that was firmly in Jorge Lucas's mind, he, with him even knowing that later in the film was going to be the reveal about them being brother and sister. So I don't know about that. So uh, Lucas clearly wanted them to have a relationship, and for whatever reason. Between the making of Empire and Jedi, he changed his mind on that. I don't know if he's ever been asked why he changed his mind. But uh, that, I guess that's a question. That's another secret to Star Wars that will die with Lucas. With that being said, if you don't like EU books, I, I still think this is one of the better ones. A lot of the EU books are just kind of are garbage. I know there's one with a giant like farting gold cloud. It's not that weird, but at the same time, though, it's like I would definitely want to read something like this than Tarkin or Path of a Jedi, one of those new canon books that's just basically, oh god, it's such a, it's it's a, it's a boring read, and there's really not much to gain from it. I would definitely check this book out if you're so inclined to read a Star Wars book. It's only about 200 pages long. It's is brief. That's another thing that's really nice. It's not a it's not a, a wordy book. It's rather concise in what it's trying to get at. It's a fun adventure. Yeah, it gives you a fun glimpse into Star Wars back in 1978. So you know what? Check it out. Read it. Uh, you won't be bored. Get it from your local library. Give your library some attention. Use a book for something other than a doorstop or something to to chuck at the kids as they're walking on your lawn. So with that being said, so concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out our Facebook group, type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find us. Look for us also on Instagram, at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodis. And you can also hear me on the Cinemodis podcast, where we'll be talking about 2009's Watchmen. And you'll also hear that I've lied to one of my closest friends for nearly a decade. And you can also hear Zenger, who's not here, but on the Zeng This podcast, where he'll be talking about some nerdy topic that chances are you'll like more than this. Good night, folks, but not goodbye.